Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. There was this one time that our family was going on vacation to the beach. When you go to the beach, everything is right with the world, isn't it? Like nothing can go wrong when you are going or at the beach. But I figured out one thing that could go wrong. See, it was one night when we were at the the beach that things turned for a worse for me. And, And for many hours, I wasn't really thinking about blue skies and crashing waves. I won't get graphic, but really all I could see was the inside of the toilet. For hours, I was in there, and about halfway through, I found myself just exhausted, laying on the floor of the bathroom. I I, I was done. I had nothing left in me. I lost hope that this was ever going to end. And it was in this moment that I felt like death wasn't completely off the table, right? And in this moment, I wasn't sure that I was completely opposed to it either, Have you had that moment before where it's just like, Jesus, just take me now? Like, just take me now. I am done and over. I've had that moment. It wasn't for a little while later that while I was done, my body hadn't taken out its vengeance on me. But about halfway through the day, finally it was like, okay, I think things have calmed down and I can begin to recuperate. I think about those moments, and then I think about the story I'm going to read today. Imagine feeling like you're done, but you're not for 38 years. Imagine feeling like you're done, but you have, and you've lost complete hope and it lasts for 38 years. Imagine being in this state, and then Jesus walks up. And he asks you a question. See, I want to go to this story today as we continue this series of the questions that Jesus asks. If you're with us for the first time in the room or you're online watching, we're looking at the questions Jesus asked throughout the gospel. And it is said that Jesus asked questions 307 times. And these questions should never be taken lightly. I hope through this series, that's what you, you've come to, like, you've owned, is we can't take these lightly because we need to not only see how people answer, they respond to Jesus' questions, we need to be doing some self-evaluations. How would I respond if Jesus was right in front of me asking me this question? So, so far we've asked two important questions. First week is... First week was, who do you say I am? And the second one was, what do you want? Jesus asks the disciples these questions. Who do you say I am? What do you want? And we're going to continue today. In the next question, we're going to go to John chapter 5, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 5. As we read 
these, this story today, what you're going to see is Jesus ask a question of a man that I think was completely in despair. He was completely done. He, 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 didn't, he didn't know what hope he could have for tomorrow, but then Jesus enters the scene. And so we're going to go John chapter 5, 1 through 9. Here's what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is Aramaic and is called Bethesda, Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, and here's our question, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. This was a pretty big moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. The location of this place was called the House of Mercy, or the House of Grace. That is what Bethesda means. And this is interesting to picture with those names, because it is believed that at any point in, t- in life, there was at least 300 people at this place. Uh, location. And during the festivals, it would get up to maybe 3,000 people, all looking for a miracle for the ailment that they had. Now, it's interesting that you'd call this place the house of mercy, because at this point, when Jesus is about to enter the scene, you could more appropriately probably call it a house of misery, pain. And suffering. And so Jesus enters the scene. And as I said, this is a pretty big moment in his life, in a pretty pivotal moment in his ministry, because at this moment, maybe not for the reasons you, you think it is, that this is the moment that Jesus come, the Pharisees basically decided they were done with Jesus in this moment, and they started to plan, hey, we are going to get him, we're going to terrorize him, we're going to go after him. It was in this moment. It was actually not because of the miracle. The reason the Pharisees decided we're done with Jesus and they started their more aggressive attack was not because of the miracle. See, if you keep reading the story, if you've got your Bible reading the story, you'll see this miracle happens on what they call Shabbat, or Sabbath. See, what was more important than the miraculous thing that happened to this man is when it happened. The miracle happened at the wrong time. See, in their laws, on this day, rest should have been happening. So the man picking up his mat and walking away, this was going against their Shabbat or or Sabbath. What I think is really cool with this is we begin to see a picture of Jesus. We begin to see a picture of Jesus because we see what he truly cares about, and that is people. 
He cares about people more than he cares about the oral laws that the traditional religious leaders would try to hold people to because Jesus was on mission and his rules mattered more than their rules. And in this case, the thing that mattered the most are people who are broken, people who are hurting, people who are helpless. That's the picture of Jesus we get here. And this is a really good thing. Because what I need us to see this morning is this invalid is me. This invalid is you. See, this word invalid right here uh, is spelled A-S-T-H-E-N-E-O. This is what you would see in the original text. And if you want to know conceptually what this word meant, if you want to know what they're trying to say, they're trying to get the point across that this man was feeble, without strength, was powerless, and he was weak. Okay, we see invalid, but this is what they're trying to get across. This place was filled with the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. We don't know what this man had. All we know is this text, this story is trying to tell us that he was weak and powerless to take care of himself. That's the point that John is trying to get across. And what I take from this is, Scott, this is you, you realize this. Far too often in life, or so often in life, this is how you could be described. See, we like to be able to say that we have life figured out. We like to posture that we are able to carry whatever comes at us. We like to be able to say, I got this. The problem is circumstances. You know circumstances. Life happens. And it puts us in a place where we can't say with honesty, I got this. Circumstances put us in a position where all we have is a posturing because honestly, we are more weak than we are really strong. We go through life, I think, questioning ourselves, our decisions, our abilities more than we are confident about what's next. I would say we live in more of an overwhelmed feeling than we do a peaceful feeling. And so whether we want to admit it or not, we are often limited, powerless to accomplish and fight back against what life asked of us. And that is this man, 38 years 38 years of not being able to say, I've got this. He can't say it. He feels like everyone around him has a better chance of getting well more than he does. And his physical limitations are what consume him in life. Now, as we read this story, I don't want us to get caught up in something. I don't want us to think that the only or the biggest limitation in life are physical ailments. 
We can see and we can understand physical limitations. That's easy for us to understand, but what I want us to own for you to see yourself in this story is that each one of us has a weakness. Just some are easier to hide. Each one of us has brokenness. Just some brokenness are easier to hide. Some of our weakness is just under the surface and no one would ever know. Some of our weakness is so under the surface that we can do a good job of not exposing ourselves. We can just hide it. But we still know. Some of our weakness, our brokenness, is so under the surface that we have been pushing it to the side for so long that maybe we have become blind to how bad it is. See, some of us, our weaknesses are we have a cold and angry heart. Life has brought just traumatic things and to protect yourself you've just been become cold and angry for some you, you just you become cynical for some you become just sad you struggle with depression you struggle with loneliness there is being spiritually lost these are the things and so much more that are under the surface that the physical ailments are easy to see but we all have our brokenness that we're carrying that is very easy to hide and the reason it's so important for us to be able to relate to this man is because if we don't own ourselves as being that guy being powerless against our struggles, have the inability to really take care of things on our own, when we aren't willing to go there and we live above and we protect ourselves and we act like it's not there, we have the possibility of missing out on the miraculous move of God that this man experienced we will end up just being okay that God saves me for heaven, but I don't need much else from him. And when we think that is all we need from him, what I've seen is this creates a distance. It creates a wall. It kind of puts God in a box where we're like, hey, I need you for this, but stay in this box because I, I've got this over here that I'm going to take care of. Hey, I need you for this area, but I'm going to keep you here because I will take care of myself in this area. When we don't think we need God for more than salvation, it creates this distance between us. It creates a wall between us and Him. And that's how you're going to approach God then this story and the truth of, it, truth of it potentially have, you'll never be able to experience this Jesus we see in the Bible. 
will never experience him being able to touch the areas of our life that we need him so badly to move in. But if we are willing to say, Jesus, I want to get well. I just believe that we will experience us the side of Jesus that he is wanting to show us, but we have been the one that have kept him at a distance. And I believe this because I've experienced it. I've experienced that when God used someone to come into my life, and he said to me, Scott, do you want Jesus to make you well? If you've been around One Hope back when it was first Wesley and back before I was a lead pastor, I'll say 10 years ago, I shared a story about my life. I shared a story about my life for a couple reasons. The same reasons I'm sharing, going to share it today is because I need to remind myself and I need to remind you that the stories in Scripture are still a reality today even if you haven't seen them. And I want to do that because I want you to understand the heart behind where I speak of what I believe the possibilities are in Jesus. See, the year was 1995, and I was in my 10th grade year of high school. I was one of just a couple people to make the varsity basketball team. And you know, as 10th grade Scott, this was my world. I was excited. I was ready for the year, and it was in the first week of practice that we, we were going. I'm on a fast break, and a ball is thrown over my head, and I'm running. I'm tearing into it, get to an end line, and I plant my left foot to keep a ball in. And if you know this story, you know is in this moment, everything gave away in my knee. I tumble to the ground, and I'm writhing in pain. Teammates come over. Coach comes over. I don't know if this is a good move or not, but coach grabs my knee or my ankle and my leg and pulls it back in place because it had become dislocated. I didn't know what just happened. Well, that, obviously the next move is you go get it checked out. And I was in this checking it out, realized I'd torn my MCL and I'd just torn all through some cartilage in my knee. And what was once excitement turned into such pain. Something I was so excited about turned into was just ripped out of my life. Well, the next move, as you know, is surgery, right? So I had surgery, but it looked like that 10th grade year is done. Well, it was after surgery, and my knee is bandaged up, and you can imagine it's swollen twice the size of regular knee. And at this time, I lived in Canada. And my dad was going back to school to further his education so he could be more effective in his counseling career. And for a few years, we lived at a place called Bethany Baba College, now called Kingswood University, and they were the dorm parents, so I lived in the dorm, and it was after surgery, I was in a lounge watching TV in that dorm. I was mad, confused, let down, frustrated. I was, there was this desperation of, I lost what I loved, and I'm sitting in the room, I'm watching, and a guy named Ryan Briggio walked in. I was kind of like the dorm 
the student's like little brother, and he knew this happened to me, and he says, Scott, how are you doing? We shared a little bit. We had conversation. But then something turned, and he says, Scott, do you believe that Jesus could heal your knee? Well, I grew up in the church. You grew up in the church. You know the stories. I just read you a story. Of course Jesus can, but that's the Bible. For the next two hours, he began to speak to me about Jesus. About Jesus I had heard about, but all of a sudden I was hearing about him in a way that was new to me. And after these couple hours and, 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 and these conversations had really come alive, he said, Scott, not only do you believe that Jesus can, do you think Jesus wants to heal your knee? And I'll tell you, I got, I got to a point through these conversations. I'm like, I do. I do. He said, okay, I want to read a passage of scripture for you. And he took me to James chapter 5. Verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will rise them, raise them up. And if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so he read that. And he's like, do you want to do that? And I said, yes. He said, okay. And he asked a question I wasn't expecting. Is there any sins you need to ask forgiveness for? On the spot, all right. But in that moment, something instantly came to my mind. See, in Canada, we don't have dollar bills. We have dollar coins. They're called loonies. All right, it looks like this. And I had been stealing from my dad. My dad collected these loonies in a, like a... a change kind of container and every once in a while I'll take one I take two so he wouldn't notice instantly came to my mind so he said okay you got to go so I went and told my dad and of course he forgave me like dad should do and I came back he said okay well I gathered some guys and we're gonna gather around we're gonna pray for you they anointed me with oil and they laid their hands on me and this is where you either have to trust me or not. But as they're praying, all of a sudden I'm feeling and I'm seeing my knee shrink in their hands. I'm like, what is going on? They continue to pray, continue to pray. When they're done praying, Ryan looks up and goes, did you feel or see what I saw? I said, yeah. What in the world? He said, I want you to get up, I want you to walk. So I get up and I walk. He goes, I want you to go on the stairs. I ran up the stairs, ran down the stairs. What just happened? See, in this moment, I was not in pain for 38 years. But I was that invalid. I was powerless to overcome the struggle that I had. And I read this story of John 5 today, and I tell my story today because all of us are struggling with something. 
And I'm wondering if between the story we read in Scripture and the story from your pastor can encourage you. But not only that, can I tell you what I've learned then when I continue to still learn today after experiences move of God in my life. And maybe God will speak to you in the lessons that I learned. And the first lesson that I learned through this is that God sees us in our pain. God sees us in our pain. See, that, this is what I learned. That moment in the basement, in that lounge, watching TV, God saw me as clearly as he saw the man from John chapter 5. God saw what I was feeling. God saw my anger. God saw my frustration. God saw this struggle that I was carrying. And I think when we're in the middle of our struggles, we're in the middle of our weaknesses, we can know the truth of God, but still have doubts, is it true for me? We can know what we've been told about God, but maybe believe he sees other people more than he sees us. And I learned in that moment that I'm as important as this man we read in the Bible. What an amazing concept to believe that I am as important as this man in the Bible, and I still have not forgotten it today. And so I just want to share with you, I am not special. That God sees you as important as the man from John 5, and as he saw me and sees me, because he sees you in your pain. The second thing I learned is that God hears our prayers. Some of the most hopeless moments in our life is when we feel like we're not seen. But it's also as hopeless when we feel like people don't hear. No one hears how much pain we're in. And once again, when it comes to God, we can know what Scripture says. You can grow up in the Bible. You can hear the stories, but still not be sure that God hears you as much as he hears other people. We can lose hope that if God doesn't hear me, then where is their hope for tomorrow? And this is what happens, and, and that despair takes over in our life, because if I'm not seen, I'm not heard, then what hope do I have? Well, I believe that God not only sees us, he hears us in our prayers. I learned this, I'm still living this, and I want to encourage you today to keep praying, even when you don't know for sure are you being heard. I want you to keep praying when you aren't sure what's actually happening. I want you to keep praying when you're angry, when you're confused, when you're frustrated. I want you to keep praying when... The struggle is too much and you want to shut down. Just keep praying because I believe God sees us. He hears us. He, he's with us in these prayers. And whatever it is that you are feeling, don't stop praying. He wants us to pray. He hears us in our prayers.
The third thing that I learned was not only does he see us and hear our prayers, is he wants us to see him in our weakest moments. God wants us to see him in our weakest moment. See, he doesn't just hear us, he doesn't just uh, see us. I love this story where Jesus goes to the man. What a little detail. Jesus goes to the man. The man can't what? Go to Jesus. So Jesus closes the gap with this man. This is a little detail that changes everything about life. When you don't feel like you can go to Jesus, he is coming to us. As I sat in that basement, knowing men like this guy and John came face to face with Jesus, I believe I sat there and Jesus came to me. And it shaped something in me. And if you're around the office, the rest of the staff, you may get this soapbox sometimes because Scott, Pastor Scott, gets frustrated with things Christians say sometimes. And if you give me a moment, I want to push back against one. Your responsibility in life is to not chase God, to have a relationship with Him. How many times I've heard, I'm just chasing Jesus. God never runs from you. God never hides from you. God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at all times. We are the ones that sometimes feel like we are trying to run from God. He never runs from us. The question is, do we put ourselves in the place where we are open to God being with us? Because he will never turn us down. A silly way that I look at this, and you've heard about my little dog Carter, right? I told you when I get home every day, it'll happen today. Could leave for 10 minutes or 10 hours. Carter's the exact same way. Like, he's thought about me the whole time. And so I walk in, and Carter makes noises. He jumps on me, but he'll jump to the couch, and he'll start turning, and he'll start doing his thing, and it's just like, bro, like, bring it down. But what he's doing is he's waiting for us to put our stuff down and stop doing the things that we think we need to do as we come home. And he's like, will you just come sit on the couch with me? We go down and sit on the couch, and what's Carter do? He's all up in your face. Like, he's just like, dude, chill. If you, if you want to see, you want to get loved, come to our house. Carter will love you, okay? I look at Carter and I go, isn't this the picture of Jesus? I'm never have to chase Carter when I go home. Me just coming home, he wants to be with me. The problem is, do I sit down and take a moment, stop doing the little things, stop doing all the things, like putting, putting your, you know, women, you put your purse away and you're putting your second purse away and sometimes third bag, you know how you are. Put your, God just like, will you sit down for a moment? I want to be with you. I'm not ever running from you. I'm waiting for you. I want to meet you in your hardest, weakest moments. I learned that. I'm still learning that. The fourth thing I learned is that God often uses people as part of the miracle. 
God often uses people as part of the miracle. That night never would have happened if Ryan Briggio had not come to me. Because God uses people to be his hands and feet in working in our life. But here's the deal. How many times do we push people away when we feel like we're not doing well? How often do we push people away when we struggle? We isolate ourselves from people when we need people the most. I could have easily just said to him, I'm fine. But the conversation changed when I'm like, I'm not doing good. I'm sad. I'm struggling. We need others, and others need you. We need to stop saying, I can't be with people right now. We have to stop saying the sentence, I can't be with people right now, with, when being with the right people, being vulnerable with the right people, spending time with the right people you can open up is exactly what you need. We listen to this lie in our head, I'm better off if I go into seclusion. I turn out the light and I cry by myself. I'm not saying that's never a thing to do. What I'm saying is we do this and we go into dark places. We go into even deeper places when we push away from other people. Honestly, this is why we believe so much in small groups at this place. There are p- groups that have been together five years, 10 years, 20 years, I think 30 years. Groups have been together at this place. Every Sunday morning, you get used to each other. You grow and, and you're willing to open up and be vulnerable. And I've seen time and time again, the miracle that God does happens through other people because they step into your life and they are the hands and feet of Jesus. You sometimes are the miracle. And sometimes God uses other people to be your miracle. He uses other people. The fifth thing, I just got two more. The fifth thing. I learned is that God doesn't always work the same way. I've been through a lot of struggles. You've been through a lot of struggles. God never works the same way, it feels like. Two years ago when I tore the ACL in the same knee, so we've got ACL, MCL, no cartilage, like, avoid this knee, all right? Like, just take it easy on it. He didn't heal my knee. He didn't snap his fingers and go, okay, it healed the knee. When I'm in times in my life where I'm really battling it's not like what happened when I was 15 years old God works in different ways but what I've learned is that every time I walk through something hard when I invite Jesus into this situation he always works in the ways that fits best for me in this moment and so this morning I can't promise you you'll have a healing like I'm experienced. I don't want you to take that away from this story. Don't take that away from this story. Because it doesn't always happen. It's happened once in my life where I'm like, oh my goodness. But I've experienced a lot of times God working in my life when I needed him most. I've seen him work in my life over and over, and I just trust God to do what he thinks best for my life. And then the last thing that I learned is God is so patient with us. Hear me. The part of the story that I didn't tell you was after that moment, our family left Canada and moved to Lexington, Kentucky. My final two years of high school were in Lexington, 
I put God in the back burner like completely. I didn't go to church unless my parents made me. I didn't do anything to cultivate a relationship with God after what I experienced. Frankly, I wrestled with where is God's place in my life? But the thing was, is I could never get away from that night. Where God did something supernatural, a miracle in my life. And what I learned and am still learning is that God healed my knee that night, but what he really did was plant a seed inside of me that I could never get away from. And then he let me patiently grow into who I am becoming as a Jesus follower. And this is the thing that I need to understand is that God, he sees all things and you think you have done so much that why would he forgive you? And I want to tell you he's patient. You may live in shame because like, I can't believe I've lived this life, but he's patient. You've seen the work of God, but then you go back to living the way you want to live selfishly, me involved. But God is patient with us. I look at this story in John 5, and I see that it's done in the house of mercy, the house of grace. And I know from personal experience that God is still the same God that was in John 5. And he still has the same mercy. He still has the same grace. The real question is, when he comes to us in life, and he says, do you want to get well? How do we answer him? Every one of us has a struggle. Just some are easier to hide. And is there anything in your life where it's like, this is too much. It's overwhelming. I'm not at peace. I'm powerless to handle this on my own. Has your heart become too hard to receive have you become too cynical? Have you become too negative? Have you pushed God away? And God's like, hey, will you invite me into this? Because you saw the miracle here, and you saw the miracle here, and you saw the miracle here, and I'm still wanting to do this, and your miracle is going to be different than everybody else's, but are you willing to say, Jesus, I do want to get well? I'm sick of feeling this, living this. My invitation to you is will you invite him into whatever place you're struggling and say, will you help me become well here? So we're going to finish in worship as we do. And I just trust the Holy Spirit in this place. We don't have to beg for God's presence to be here ever in worship. His presence is here. The question is, are we receptive to it? Are we open to it? And I believe whatever you're carrying, he wants to meet you in that moment.
God, thank you for the story after stories of scripture where you invaded our life. You heal in so many ways. Sometimes it's physically, sometimes it's spiritually, sometimes it's emotionally, sometimes it's just the, the, the overwhelming place in life. You just meet us in those. And so God, either people who are watching online, listening online, or people in this room today, we've got things we're struggling with that we just try to hide. And God, I pray that you would just uh, soften our heart to let you into those places. Because you still want to do miracles in our life. Holy Spirit, speak and do what only you can do. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.